Hey, welcome to Tech Exchange. It's our take on the latest happenings and trends in technology. I'm Jane Johnson, and I'm joined today by our co-hosts, Corey Moss, Johnny Moda, Krista Bender, and this is where we have no shortage of opinions and insights. We actually have a really interesting show today, a lot of things to talk about, but first, a word from our sponsor. We want to thank Ingram Micro. Visit Ingram Micro's website, which is ingrammicro.com, to find out how they can help you with your AV and IT needs. Thank you, Krista. So a little teaser, our guest today is Scott Stolwert. He is with Automated Insights. We're going to start, though, with our Tech in the News Roundup. And Krista's going to start us off with a really interesting story about drones. Yes, uh, I saw this uh, on the news and it made me giggle because um, there was a drone that flew over top of the U.S. Open tennis match up in New York late this week and it crashed into an unmanned seating area, which was great, um, but it caused a lot of problems. The uh, One of the uh, ladies that was in the match actually thought it was some sort of uh, terroristic attack or something. She thought, like, you know, everything it's all over, this is how I'm going to go out kind of thing, which is kind of scary that somebody would have that reaction seeing a drone. So it was um, actually a 26-year-old teacher from New York City who um, was flying the drone. Um, he was located in a nearby marina and just happened to fly it over or near uh, City Field and the tennis uh, court. So it's not the first time that this has happened, actually. I mean, this has become a common occurrence as more and more people are getting their own drones for various reasons. Uh, last September, there was a man in New York that was uh, arrested for flying a drone near the Brooklyn Bridge. And then last week, or excuse me, later that same week that he was arrested, another man who was a filmmaker was arrested for flying one outside the National Tennis Center. Um, around the time of the last U.S. Open, so same time last year. So it's what's interesting and what a lot of people forget or tend to ignore is that the Federal Aviation Administration prohibits drone use within five miles of airports, and LaGuardia International is about four miles from the Louis Armstrong Stadium where the gentleman was arrested this week. So it's uh, certainly an interesting topic because, you know, more and more people are seeming to push the limits with what they want to do with their drones. Um, and I just thought it was funny because, you know, he had ended up crashing the drone. So whatever money he spent on that just went into smithereens because, uh, you know, he, I guess, got all scared or something. Well, you know, Krista, sorry, first of all, for the dent in his bank account. Um, but uh, I did look at this article, and it, it actually includes a tweet from NBC New York uh, which says drone crashes into stands during U.S. Open match, NYPD investigating. You can see the drone laying on the steps with the police around it. Um, Barry, honestly, uh, it happened at the U.S. Open, uh, an event that is, uh, I'm sorry, an event that is obviously very well attended. Um, certainly could have flown over to City Field if the Mets were playing as well. I don't know the Mets play when the city when the um, U.S. Open is happening, but this is a very serious event uh, 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 that took place with the, uh, the drone that flew in. And as a matter of fact, I'm also looking at an Ars Technica article talking about New York City teacher arrested hours after drone crash at U.S. Open. 
Uh, and there's an interesting story here as well that's linked to that Cincinnati tells fans no drones at tonight's All-Star game. So where it says the rise in recreational drone use creates security challenges. So there was already an edict put out to the fans in Cincinnati, don't bring drones to the All-Star game. And I'll take it even further than that. We're back in January, an article in Athletic Business uh, drones emerging as security threat at domestic sporting events. So even as far back as January, and even talking about an incident at the University of Illinois at Camp, at Camp Randall Stadium uh, on October 11th, um, at least uh, in reading this, I believe uh, this had to do with that. So there have been numerous events uh, involving drones and um, happenings such as this. As well as, again, the All-Star Game. And can you imagine the Super Bowl? Because we were talking about it before. And then, uh, you know, and Scott even said, well, what about indoors? Think about Madison Square Garden. Somebody brings one to a Knicks game and flies it over the court. And, uh, And these things are getting smaller and smaller. You could sneak it in. What happens at this point? How do you even know when somebody's bringing a drone into a, into an arena like that, in a concert even, let's say? Problem is that they're so small that you're not going to know. Like you said, they just get smaller and smaller, and everyone's going to bring it in. We're going to the point where it's going to be like a drone flash mob, and that's going to be awesome. Uh, they'll most likely crash each other at the end, which will be even better. But a drone is essentially a toy, and everyone who gets it, for their first time, probably has no idea how to play with the toy and they become children again. So of course they're not going to listen to the FA or even know the rules and regulations. You can't fly close to an airport or anything like that. They're just going to, I have this new toy and I'm going to fly it wherever I want because I'm a child right now. And this is the coolest thing since sliced bread. And before that, since bread. So you they're going to fly, fly these things wherever. Johnny, you're absolutely right. And you, you made a great point before when we were talking about this, about, the potential of loading up these drones with artificial intelligence and improving the, uh, the feature set. I, I, I don't think that's the problem. I think we know how to do that today. And the cost of that, of course, will come way down in, in, uh, in coming years. I think the problem with these sports fans and these, these new toy owners is programming the common intelligence into, you know, their discretion when they're using their new toy. It, it's funny when we talk about it in that regard, but the fact is these are, these are serious uh, consequences that can happen. So far, we're lucky enough, people got scared, but it crashes into a person, it crashes into other uh, technology and starts a fire in an enclosed arena like that, and we're all going to be having, uh, unfortunately, a different discussion. Exactly. Um, didn't, I swear there was a, a musician, if you will, at a concert, couple months back that went and tried to grab one on stage like an idiot because that's um, what he was yes Yes. so he thought oh hey sweet there's a flying drone with propellers that spin at miles and miles per hour i'm gonna just grab it with my bare hands because i'm a friggin' robot from the future that has no pain or feelings or emotions and i'm just gonna just pull it off with no disregard or anything and um yeah common sense that would be 
the one thing that need to be programmed with. But you can't give people common sense because <laughs> obviously he might have lost a few fingers in the process. That, that happened so. in my house uh, when my husband decided to buy himself a drone. I wasn't paying attention. I was in the other room playing with the pups. And all of a sudden I hear, oh my God, there's blood everywhere. And I walk into the kitchen and he's up on the counter and he had forgotten to put the blades, uh, the covers on the blades. The thing shot up in the air and his first reaction was to bat it down like it was a bat or something and he sliced up his hand. So I'm sure that happens to everybody with their first drone. Uh-huh. Thank God the dogs weren't hurt. Yeah, let's just yeah, say yes, thankfully right? the dogs were smarter <laughs> and stayed away from the drone, you know? Those would be sweet instructional videos for your first drone. Like, my first drone, and then like, you just step one, put bla- covers on blades or else... Ah! Show picture of accident. Yeah, here's Um, what not to do. (laughs) But, you know, it's interesting, though, and this is not sports-related, but I read, I don't know if it was a month or two ago, you know, the the giant forest fires uh, out west and, you know, and how the crews fight them and all. Now what's turned out with that is there were people actually flying drones over that and where these crews could not actually put out those fires overhead because the drones were in those those areas that essentially are supposed to be secured for you know for the firefighting, and that caused all kinds of problems. Where where these fires actually entered a bridge area, I believe, and cars went on fire. I I think I'd have to look it up again. But this caused mass chaos and destruction just because these people decided, well, let's fly our drones and get some video uh, of, you know, of these forest brush fires, you know, these massive fires that are going on out there. So take it to that level where it becomes a massive safety concern um, as well. So I think where drones are concerned, hey, listen, they're very cool. All right. There's great things, you know, we talk about in the industry and all, but I think security is a, is a, is a massive concern at this point with drone usage. Well, I think privacy is going to factor in as well because sure. people can climb over houses and, and uh, that type of thing too. What's the cost on a drone anyway? I mean, you can get a, a small one um, for 99 bucks, but then the ones that, uh, you know, that you would attach a GoPro to or whatnot, they're usually a few hundred, you know, three or four hundred and upwards, depending upon how big you go. Um, but, you know, you're probably looking at roughly 800 to to 1000 dollars of an investment if you go with one, you know, you get your GoPro, you get your little... Uh, the drone and then you got to get the wireless uh, boost to get the signal from the camera down to you to, to stream your shot. So roughly a thousand if you want to, you know, start off. So yeah, let, let's say the real quality DJI drones, especially, which are really top of the market, you know, you're going to pay good money for those. You're going to get what you pay for, but honestly, it's the user, it's regulations, following rules and regulations. Are they really you know, clearly spelled out at that point, um, you know, a lot of, and privacy, of course, Jane, that's a very good point to make. Mm-hmm. If you're going to um, get your, my first drone and you don't want to spend a whole bunch of money, you might as well make one that, or get one that looks cool. Buy one from Disney, buy the Millennium Falcon or buy the X-Wing one. You know, if we're just going to talk about fun things and crash them for, isn't like isn't, isn't this like or wasn't yesterday like Star Wars the fourth day or today or something like I know today's International Bacon Day I thought it definitely wasn't like it definitely was though okay well 
No, it was. Okay. All right. Uh, anyway. Well, speaking of, of fun things you can spend your money on, if you happen to have a lot of it, Johnny has a, a story for us. Should you be a Bitcoin enthusiast like myself and just have them laying around in digital currency land or a bank, you can watch the new Mission Impossible at home for $500 a pop or a fraction of a Bitcoin, however you want to determine what that is. Um, there is a not necessarily new technology. It has been around for a little while. My friend John Siaka over at Sound and Vision Residential Systems wrote an article about Prima Cinema. It is a relatively expensive, and I say relatively because depending on how much Bitcoin you have laying around in that bank of yours, uh, they start about $35,000. And it's a box, if you will, that has multi-layered encryption and you can rent for $500, a new movie that is in the theaters. Uh, you can watch it a one-time kind of only thing and roughly rewind about 10 minutes. So if uh, you have that kind of Bitcoin cash laying around and you give your children access to that sort of thing, be very careful how you spend those Bitcoins because hey, they can Johnny, start to can end quickly. can you only pay for it in Bitcoin? I mean, I can, but uh, <laughs> because I have so many of them. I, okay. I'm, I don't know if you can't see it, but I'm in a library of mahogany and leather-bound books. So <laughs> we, do. we do. Uh, <laughs> we do. Um, no, you, it, it's, it's real money. I mean, Bitcoin is real money if, you know, if you're a robot from the future. But uh, actual money, $500. And it seems insane. But if you're the one percenters out there that can afford such a device in your home theater of luxury then something of this magnitude is, isn't really something you would bat an you know, eyelash at. It's just, okay, well, is that worth it to me? The, the server itself has about four terabyte of storage. I believe it's expandable. And again, it's not necessarily a new technology. It's been on the market for a few years. The, the newest update is just the support of UHD formats, um, which is cool for what it is. But if you have that kind of money laying around, is it still worth it to you? Most of the people that I know that can afford such things that I've done similar type of products, which Kaleidoscaping one of them, but not quite, you know, on-demand movies in the theater, still very, very expensive. Um, they, it, It's a tough sell, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> 35 grand isn't necessarily something they're just like, yeah, whatever, I'll watch a $500 movie today for one time, just because I can. Uh, typically, the people I work with and, and things like that it's not something that is like, oh yeah, sure, let's get three of those. You know, it's they they have money for a reason, and they don't necessarily want to let it go on simple things. I know some of the clients I have when I tell them the cost of a speaker that I sell that's custom, they would say, "What? That's ridiculous." You know, I'm just going to go buy a new Tesla. I would rather spend it on this. Or that's ridiculous. You know, people value their money on certain devices in their home or buildings in different ways, whether that's a car, a light, a speaker. A thirty-five thousand dollar media server that gives you access to movies same days when you can watch it for twelve dollars in the theater that day, and the privacy in your own home uh, is valued different to each and every person. So, if that's something that you can afford, does it seem that it's worth it to you? Well, so first of all, Johnny, rich or poor, it's nice to have money. And no, we didn't. We didn't outfit the bathroom down here uh, next to the next to the office with one of these. But of course, they're in every other room. Um, the I, I think you're right. Obviously, the one percenters are going to have these, and I think the marketing is is genius because 
you know, Corey was talking about Star Wars and I have two girls in, in middle school age. You know that the first person in the community is going to have this and somebody's going to go to seventh or eighth grade the next morning after seeing the new Minions movie. And then everybody in the neighborhood is going to need to go buy a, a Prima Video system for $40,000 and start renting $500 pay-per-views. The, the, the marketing there is going to be genius. They're not going to have to take out a single ad. I think, uh, yeah, they're limited to 1%, but they're going to sell a whole lot of one percenters. So when can I come to your house and watch Minions? Whenever yeah. you want. Open invitation. For the one percenters out there that are listening to this podcast that are buying up the Prima. And by the way, interestingly enough, thank you, Jane. Interestingly enough, uh, one of their uh, partner uh, resellers is here where I live. So I plan on going this week, knocking on their door, asking about the system, and um, see if they'll, I don't know, maybe they'll let me test it for a month. Maybe let me test drive it. You know? What do you think, Johnny? You think that's a good idea? Only if they let you through the, the uh, multiple levels of gates to get to their property. <laughs> I'm sure they have security gates. and uh... They probably have drones manning the gate. There's a <laughs> fingerprint bioscanner, biometrics. They're going to scan your eyeball, that whole bit. You'll yeah, have to like, right. get past the several terminators over a drawbridge, and then eventually you'll get to their castle where they say, sorry. Yeah. And Johnny, as, as part of the SLA that comes with the Prima system, you're going to have to charge Corey twelve ninety five once he gets through all of those levels of security just to sit down and, and preview the movie. Exactly. But <laughs> then I'll, I'll need to see his ID. I'm like, how do I know you're Corey Moss? That's right. Could you, could you imagine that article I could write? I mean, you know, uh, about my experience, though? I mean, I mean, John's article is great. I'd love to do the follow-up. I really would. With John's a funny... John is really, really hilarious. If you ever met him, he's a great guy. He's yeah. funny. Oh, um, I've heard. But just, so just to touch on what you're saying, the need for a device like this. I, nobody needs this, right? Uh, Joel Rollins had put it br brilliantly one time. Um, when doing commercial and things of such that I, I've been told that I don't do, and I don't need to touch on that, but uh, you're fulfilling a spec, okay? And when doing resi, you're fulfilling a dream. So. That, that is a really good analogy, I think, because, yeah, you don't need any of this stuff. It is very much a, a dream for someone to have their house automated, right? It's, it's not a necessity. It is very convenient. It is a luxury. It is kind of a bit of both. Um, and every home that I've ever done is usually a high end of some sorts because they, you know, I, one, one scenario is, okay, my, my neighbor like Scott said, you know, someone on the block, the first person to get whatever this technology is, whether it's a Prima Cinema, really expensive, it probably costs more than all the cars uh, that you know and your family have, someone got one on the block and they want to show it off. So you have a party or whatever it is, everyone comes over and the other people that could afford such a technology, whatever it happens to be, well, now I want one, but I want it to be better than yours. So you are fulfilling a dream, creating sparks in their brain to give them a dream or something of that nature that will inspire others, but gives them the luxury in their own home to kind of not have the need to go out and spend money back during the recession. That was kind of a thing. More and more people weren't spending money out outside of the home anymore because there wasn't a lot of, you know, let's keep it at home. Let's keep it. But 
the the home side of things didn't necessarily die off as much as people said it did. I mean, for on some of my large, large projects, yes, they did. But they still were kind of investing that money into their home so that way they didn't have to have the need to go out because, you know what, I'm going to invest it in my personal stuff to where I can still kind of have that luxury within my home and not have to leave to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about outside the home, Johnny, and we talked about it before. So Scott, Robbie Allen, the CEO of Automated Insights, um, I asked if Robbie had a yacht and if he does, if he'll invite us all on it. But before he does, he installs the, is it Prima or Prima, Johnny? I think that just depends on what part of the world you're from, but I'm going to go with Prima. <laughs> okay. The PRIMA central um, system. We're asking, hopefully, he'll install that before we come on. We'll all pitch in to pay for the movie. Um, and then the robot who brings around the drinks and everything else. Uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a great experience. I'll pitch in 1%. Thank you. 1%. All right. Scott, did you want to add on to that? I don't know. I'm, I'm searching through the directives that Robbie Allen gave me uh, here, what I, could say, what I couldn't say. I apologize for that. Uh, Does Robbie have a boat? The dead air. Look, whether Robbie has one or not, I think he'll, he'll be very appreciative for all the, uh, all the free PR that, that Corey were, were giving him here. And uh, if there's an invitation to be had, I think we're earning it. Good. Well, we'll talk about Robbie in a little while anyway. All so. Right. Well, I'm going to keep my dreams modest and stick with Amazon Prime free movies. So mm -hmm. go good for you. Uh, Corey, let's take it back to a little bit more in the uh, robotic realm. Mm, robots. Okay. Uh, yes, I have an article from ZDNet. It's called Remote Robotic Surgery is Both Practical and Safe. So where we've been talking about safety issues and things of that nature and expensive as all get out home entertainment devices, this is something I found that says new research suggests that today's internet is fast enough, reliable enough to make telesurgery viable. Um, so what it talks about is the Nicholson Center at Florida Hospital, which trains doctors to use the latest medical technology, including robots, has been testing the latency between communication-rich environments such as hospital campuses. Um, it's talking about how early results have led researchers to a conclusion that it says is either astounding or not at all surprising, uh, depending on depth of knowledge about network latency and the recent progress of robotic surgery. Uh, and where it says it turns out that telesurgery in which a surgeon in one location performs an operation in another with the aid of a robot could quite easily be practiced today with existing te uh, technology. And the writer says that he, for one, was astounded. Um, it does show robotic device. Uh, it talks about the burgeoning field of robotic surgery is dominated by intuitive surgical which it says makes the Da Vinci surgical system. Um, it received FDA clearance for Da Vinci in 2000, though it says at the time it wasn't clear how readily surgeons would adopt the new technology or how patients would react to it. And I think, honestly, if you talk about that statement, I would think at the patient side, if the patient knows that a, a robot is, is performing surgery, or say myself as well, 
I'd have a little to say about that, I guess. As I, I'd, I'd like a real doctor. Um, yeah, but robotics know. have been used in surgery for a while. I mean, I, I don't think it was a robot, but when I had my gallbladder removed, I have four scar marks from different entries, and, you know, with two or three of those being cameras, so that's robotic in a way. Um, so it has sort of been used for a while. I, I could see the use for this probably in a, um, you know, third world country. You know, you don't have the ability to have the, um, the doctors to be where, you know, the surgery needs to be. And, you know, if you can get cameras set up and get the robot there or even military, you know, if you're in a uh, heavy war zone and you have bodies that need to be fixed, uh, deploy the drones, deploy the robots, and uh, have the doctor sitting in D.C. or New York work on the soldiers. And, you know, that's very interesting, Krista. And, and this article will, will be linked uh, in the write-up as well as the other articles we've referred to. But so you'll be able to see the picture, and the description of Da Vinci is it uses long pencil-like rods in place of a surgeon's hands. So it's not a surgeon's hands. It's actually pencil-like rods that the robot is using to perform the surgery. Uh, it says surgeries performed with it are less invasive uh, and significantly reducing complications and recovery time. So just for that, in terms of that alone, could be extraordinarily significant in this kind of technology. And of course, we're talking robotics. All right, which, you know, in every way, shape, or form. In fact, uh, I've had recent conversations on uh, telepresence and robotics, um, telehealth, uh, things of that nature. I mean, the sky's the limit to what robotics uh, can do or where it can go at this point. And I think right now, you know, looking at this, uh, this is a whole new discussion um, at this point. Robots are taking our jobs. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Surgeon's jobs. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Uh, the telepresence or telesurgery, I think, is is new to me because uh, I've never heard of that before, but I don't think it's uncommon. Maybe it's just growing. It, I think it's pretty brilliant. Um, I've done some, done some work with some doctors, and uh, some of the doctors that I know that I've been working with, they have a telepresence where they are not doing surgery, um, unless they, in the past, this is, uh, six years ago, roughly they here locally to where I am, but can be in multiple hospitals, multiple rooms via like a beam type of robot or telepresence. And they have a tray. They can go from bed to bed to speak to different patients and have a, a physical aid or assistance there to, to take the needs of that, um, patient or patients. And then they could beam into another robot or telepresence robot you know, and then, you know, farther up the state. Um, I don't know if you're aware, California is kind of a big place. So can't be in all places at once, but this does reduce travel time and allows him to give his or her um, excellent brain <laughs> lending knowledge. I'm not good with the word this morning because my coffee isn't all up here yet, but uh, allows him to be in multiple places or her and uh, service their clients. It, it's tough to be around, and I, I don't think that we have enough doctors with the skills to perform certain, whether that's surgeries or attend, there might be a, a shortage, especially with some of the the specialty needs out there for certain diseases and surgeries, then maybe there's not enough in the field, and it's tough. So 
what do you do? Do you just have someone fly around the country or do you give them the capability to beam in and out of different robots that give them the ability to be all these places at multiple times and reduce the amount of time it takes? Uh, you could, I mean, they're possibly saving lives by giving them access to get around the country's um, country or countries or world without ever really having to commute to these areas. Those are, those are terrific points, Johnny, and, and Krista's use cases were fantastic too. And the first thing that came to mind is we put one of these robot surgeons in the trunk of every Uber driver around the country, and we have our new startup. There's a 60-minute guarantee, $99. You get the delivery, and you, know, you sew up, you sew up and, uh, and, and you take care of all that at home. Seriously, it, it's a, the genius behind it is Da Vinci-like. Uh, it's it's not ironic the name I think obviously the intelligence behind it the applications behind it you're going to see more and more of it because of those use cases you talked about it's just like the the first electronic plane that we saw uh, across the U.S. recently it's amazing technology it's unbelievable they can do these things I just don't want to be the first one to try it. Yeah, they're definitely going to get bad uh, Uber robot reviews. Uh, surgeon had cold-like hands, was very horrible bedside manner. Yeah, he gets zero stars. Yeah, if it's for bedside manner, we may have issues. But then again, talking about feelings and everything, and we talk about writing and all, so it's like, hey, maybe we'll talk of bedside manner and robot surgeons. But let me just read this quickly because this is also uh, you know, interesting information. So it says, basic data... Transmitted during telesurgery includes two HD video feeds, parentheses, one for each of the surgeon's eyes, two-way audio, and the robotic controls from the operator to the robot. Uh, quotes, across Orlando, we figured out that we can deliver all that data in 5MS, which I'm assuming is milliseconds. Um, so, I mean, right there, that's the, in that statement in itself. I mean, this is pretty impactful stuff. Yeah, as long as the connection doesn't drop. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, as long as you're not performing surgery in Starbucks, you're okay. <laughs> yeah, if, it's the, <laughs> if it's the same latency that I had watching uh, an episode of Narcos on Netflix last night, um, I'm, I'm going to take a, an even bigger pass on being the first <laughs> to have surgery. <laughs> I hear Johnny's uh, uh, Wi-Fi is always pretty strong. So, uh, you know, surgery at Johnny's. I don't know. Don't I typically come in in robot mode? <laughs> you do, actually. <laughs> so. How do I sound right now? Because I can only hear me talking. I don't know if I'm coming in through a robot on that end. So far, you're good, but you still have time to go full cyborg. You, have an right. you still have an opportunity. Don't worry about it. Come back to me. I'll come back as a Terminator. <laughs> well, it's, it's definitely a, a changing world, and, and I think the robotics and automated processes and artificial intelligence is, is going to play an increasingly large role in it. And that brings us to our guest, who is Scott Stolwerk from Automated Insights. And uh, he is the director of sales. And Automated Insights is a leading provider of high-quality, real-time content automation services. And Scott is going to tell us what that means. What does that mean? So thank you, first of all. What that means is that we built a robot, software and algorithms, not, not the kind from Terminator, <laughs> that 
anytime a company has structured complex data, the robot analyzes it and it discovers trends and key metrics and anything that we program it to, to see and to find. And it writes a story. It transforms that data into a plain English analyzed story, the same, you know, same tone and same personality that a, a human writer would. So the, the, very similar to the stuff we're talking about and, uh, and certainly a lot of applications, not surgery, but a lot of applications. Yeah, so where, who, who came up with this idea? How is this company born? Well, so our CEO, the aforementioned Robbie Allen, uh, was one of the youngest distinguished engineers at Cisco, also here in North Carolina. Um, he's got 11 books about data and data analysis for sale on Amazon. So some really smart people uh, at, at AI, Automated Insights, came up with the concept. And as we started considering case studies, use cases for it, we were lucky enough to meet uh, the Associated Press and folks like uh, Yahoo and the NFL fantasy football leagues. And so these were places where there were journalists, there were human writers that just couldn't handle the load. And what our robot software offered them was the ability to, within a couple of minutes, in the case of the AP, write 4,000 recaps of uh, financial performance for companies. And then the journalist is able to add their color and add you know, the unstructured data that makes the article more interesting, more readable and usable at a, at a local level. And uh, everybody won. So it's become pretty popular. In fact, Robbie Allen was on CBS uh, morning show this morning uh, talking about that very subject. You know, and Scott, we talked about that, how Robbie uh, was on uh, this morning. And I'm actually hoping that uh, the segment was recorded so we can put it out there because uh, I think that's uh, terrific. So the way this all began is I actually wrote an article uh, uh, toward the end of August which is on Rave, which is titled AI Big Data and the Writing Machine, and machine in quotes. And essentially what happened was I saw an article, The Sports Writing Machine, which is back from March uh, in The New Yorker, which essentially detailed how the Associated Press was using Wordsmith, which is Automated Insights application, to cover college sports and saying baseball and lower division basketball and football where it, was as where it had traditionally been unable to send reporters. So... Sporting events where maybe other, uh, you know, publications that were able to um, and media centers were able to send people, the AP was not. So they decided to use Wordsmith. And essentially what Wordsmith does, it operates by using an algorithm that finds narrative and numbers. And um, let's, and according to your website, which is on the homepage, your lets your data tell its story. So on that note, um, Scott, so where you talk about letting your data tell its story, so expand upon that. So it, it gets really interesting when, when you start talking about the individual stories. And, and to put it in context, these individual stories are unique and customized 
in, in the context of millions that are being written at the same time. So if you think of the first component of it, the first component of it is structured data. And we could be talking about a, a basketball game or a, a tennis match where a drone crashes into the stairs. Either way, there are going to be numbers associated with that. A certain number of serves and the, the, the speed of the serve. Either way, that data is fed into the system. Now, kind of the, the wonky part of it is the machine learning, the analysis that can go on as the second part where you're first kind of analyzing the situation for what the predictive variables are. If we're talking about uh, a sporting event, then certainly if, if an individual player has a great game, if their stats are up, their production is up, then being able to predict the outcome of the next game um, or the rest of the season is, is going to be a certain map and a certain number of variables. And, you know, maybe like uh, trying to predict Johnny's uh, Amazon buying behavior, you know, if you're a marketer, right? So uh, a new type of intelligent drone came out and Johnny got paid as he usually does on Friday afternoon. You could put all of these things together. You can't predict the future necessarily, but with enough data, you can be better than a human uh, in predicting the future. And then, so if you have that, that next algorithm that maps those numbers to certain groups of text that in, in some cases can be predictable, in other cases, they need to be very variable. I mean, if we're writing 30 or 50 million uh, game recaps for Yahoo Fantasy Football, you can't have even one in 10 or one in 20 sound the same. People will quickly get bored and, and think it's a robot writing it. So the variability is something that's, that's incredible in, in the context of, of your, your question, Corey. And, and I think something that, that Wordsmith, that's the name of the uh, AI robot, does incredibly well. And in fact, in the, the Yahoo example, they've contracted with us to program the Wordsmith robot to really be snarky and sarcastic. I think uh, the panel here would appreciate some of these recaps. And because of that tone, it increases the engagement of the player. It gets posted to social media more often. And it, it, it turns into uh, a thing, to, to, use your, uh, to use your phrase. We may invite uh, Wordsmith to be a co-host on our other show if it can bring the, uh, the snark and the humor uh, to that as well. Uh, yeah, it's a no, great I, idea. I know I'm in trouble now. No, um, we've, we've been invited. The <laughs> not robot with you. <laughs> but it is – no, actually, it's funny in saying that, though. It's a very interesting perspective – uh, and predictive analysis is very interesting also, Scott, because let me say this. So how many times do you hear if the season ended tomorrow, right? So the season's a quarter of the way through, and they say, well, if the season ended tomorrow, this is how it would end up for the playoffs. And you go, the season's not even a quarter of the way done. But let's say with Wordsmith and, and you know, analysis, and let's say it's sports, financial, or what have you, because you do have financial uh, analysis case store, uh, or financial case study too. But how does predictive analysis even play into things like that? So you'll never, you'll never hear one of the data scientists from AI 
say something like, if the season ended tomorrow. The, the data scientists are always about more data to train the system. We want a greater data set. We want more examples. We want, once we know those predictive variables, we want to even test the predictive assumptions, take what actually happened in that game or in the financial markets, feed it back into the data sets and expand the knowledge and thereby train the system to be more accurate. So look, there's no, there's, there's no even disguising the fact that I am not a data scientist. I never, I never took stats, let alone um, have, have the abilities and the skill set that some of these, these uh, machine learning folks at AI have. But the fact is, the larger the data set, the more we can then predict what might happen. But the fact is, the, the, the customer is typically giving us, Yahoo in this case, giving us the, the data set that they believe is predictive. They've gone through the analysis, they've seen the historical stats, and they're making the prediction. And all we're doing is combining the whole thing into Wordsmith so that there's a, an article that comes out on the other end. Uh, the fact is, you can't predict the future. Nobody really knows who's going to win Monday night's football game. And although we have all these variables and all this machine learning, you know, how much you bet on the game, Corey, is completely up to you. So, Scott, with, I'm intrigued by the, the ability that you have to change the tone of the reports and the writing. Is that something that your customers can do or is that something that, that your team has to do? So... We, we actually have two models. We have a, a self-service model and we have more of a managed service model. And in either case, Wordsmith, with, with different varying levels of sophistication, um, if you look at the AP, for example, AP has one of the most famous style guides, journalistic style guides in, in the history of the profession. Right. And so it was very important, A, to have that variability within this, the Wordsmith system, and B, to be able to upload in its entirety the rules that make up that style guide. And so it is very grammatically correct, and it is very journalistic and proper in its, in its language and its usage and its tone. And you contrast that, of course, to the snark and the sarcasm and even sometimes kind of the put-downs that are involved in uh, the fantasy football examples, it's, from our perspective, it's the variability of what the client wants and what's going to make that article more readable and more human, where you're reading it and like Corey said, the, the robot gets invited to that sporting event or to the blog or to the, the podcast like, like we are right now. Right. Is there something like you know, with, um, with translation, you can actually start identifying words and phrases that you prefer. You have a translation memory. Is there something similar where I can say, I don't like that word that you keep using in this report that you're generating. Always use this word instead. Absolutely. In fact, it's the customer and the journalist themselves that will interact with our software to choose the words. And if a word starts coming up too often, or if they don't ultimately like the way it sounds over a, a large set of the articles that Wordsmith produces, they can absolutely reprogram it, take that word or phrase out, replace it with another one. And again, 
you know, the, the big issue that's come up these days is will robots replace our jobs? And hey, wait, hey, hey, wait. Hey, Krista, give us one of those words you want to never see and always have replaced. A word that I never want to see but always have replaced. Yes. Something that is like, don't use that word, just don't use it. Leverage. Fluffernutter. Oh, <laughs> okay, J Johnny, what is it? <laughs> Bieber. Game changer. Uh, change gamer. There, that. So, Scott, so in essence with that, it's like if somebody wants to call something game changing, can we basically tell it to say, please never say that word and replace it with this, but do this, you know, like with this or what have you? I mean, is that what we're talking about? Indeed. In fact, it is rules-based in the sense you could say if, quote, game changer, appears in in the set then whatever other expletive you'd like to replace it with uh, or whatever other phrase you want to replace it with absolutely you can you can delete it all together or you can create a rule um, when when certain results come up that they're replaced absolutely uh wordsmith sounds like a way or way amazing version of watson the jeopardy robot watson is is pretty cool uh, the ibm um, uh, unstructured data uh, robot. Absolutely. In fact, I think uh, one of our uh, AI, one of my AI colleagues was at the Watson trade show and, and received one of the cookbooks that Watson created with some simple rules that were uploaded uh, into it. And, and so the applications are, are pretty incredible. And so if you get the two technologies together even, where you have the Watson uh, application, you can query unstructured data, you can collect and compile unstructured data into a book, and then you have the wordsmith functionality where now that it's structured data, you can A, analyze it, and B, then write a story about it. So you have some pretty compelling applications and and, and maybe eventually all of our interactions with technology will, uh, will follow that kind of formula. You know, Scott, I was having a conversation with a very good friend of mine talking about, again, you know, where it's a sporting event, okay? And Robbie made some good statements that I uh, wrote up in the article as well. But he says, you know, okay, so the guy hits the game-winning home run, and let's say here I'm saying the guy was just called up from the minors, all right, it's September. His game-winning home run put him in first place. How is Wordsmith going to take the elation? Obviously, this guy is – or can it even, or now or, or in the near future? I mean, you know, you talk about coming up from the minors, your, your first game, hitting the game-winning home run, putting your team in first place. That's got to show through in some way, I would think, in a recap – or you'd hope. So it does. It does. And I think you're, you make a terrific point, Corey. What we would need is historical data. Because if you think about it, you need to know how many days he's been in the major leagues. So in this case, it's going to be one, right? So if column A equals one, and the column that says home runs in that particular game says true, then the, the person adding the logic, uh, the programmer at AI adding the logic to this particular article set 
is going to add strong language. So if one day plus home run, then unbelievable rise from the minors or, you know, show that elation somehow linguistically and, and make it fit into that, the, that article. So that's, it, it's a little bit manual at first. Of course, you have to, you have to program the logic, but the beauty of the robot is it, it understands it and it picks the language. And, and the result is that story that a human didn't have to write. So Jay, we talked about in what you do, uh, in, uh, in your company, your job working with the, um, partners that you work with and how wordsmith, and again, just to detail wordsmith, three things here, analyzing big data, uh, identifying insights and writing the reports in plain English, uh, that anyone can understand. So yeah, Jane, we were talking about that. So why don't you, uh, take that? Yeah, I, I think it has enormous application in the business world. And I'm curious on a couple of fronts. One is where you, where, how do you connect to say marketing programs to get that raw data to create those types of reports? And, and the second is, do you feel like in the business world, you are allowing companies to see or access information that they wouldn't be able to otherwise? So those are excellent questions. The first I'll address is, would they be able to see it? The fact is, all of our customers are limited to data that they either own, uh, legally subscribe to, or is public data. So if you take the marketing application that, that you uh, alluded to, all of this SEO data, analytics data for Facebook and Google and everything else is available to companies already. It's, it's something we agree to in those, you know, check the box if you agree to our terms and conditions, right? So, so that's all publicly available. Um, what it gets turned into, to, to answer the other part of your question, uh, it, it's almost irrelevant to us, but typically it's XML or it's JSON, like the Java version of that translatable language and it's fed into the system. So again, most of these things are on the Amazon cloud these days, but it really could even be a spreadsheet being manually fed into the input side of the wordsmith robot. So it, it's really up to the application that we design and, and agree with the customer is going to be most effective. It depends on you know, the urgency of how fast that article needs to be produced. It depends on the technical functionality that that's available to us and uh, and and what what's what's in the budget so so really the 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 connecting to the data is anything goes and and again only only data that's either publicly available or the customer is, is allowed to see right I think what I mean uh, with, with what they're able to see is do you give them insights that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise because Big data, as we know, is a massive problem. These, these companies are gathering so much information, they cannot possibly go through all of it and get the intelligence and insights that they need. And it sounds like you're actually solving at least part of that problem. So that is a lever that we're providing to corporate America, for sure. Um, the fact is, there, there are studies that say there are about 200,000 uh, data analysts missing from our economy right now. Mm -hmm. 
um, in order to be as productive as, as companies can be, in order to increase our GDP and uh, bring back those happy economic days, there are a million and a half managers and, and employees that don't have the analytical skill necessary to even do their job. It, again, despite the BI investments, despite the billions of dollars that companies have invested in these data, the fact is there's, an, there's an, uh, a shortage of, an, of analysts. And I think we are. We're giving them a lever to sift through uh, an order of magnitude more data than they currently can. Mm-hmm. So in the sense of taking people's jobs, which I, I can appreciate you get asked, <laughs> it, it, in one sense on the writing front where you're doing the AP type articles or financial articles or earthquake articles, I can see people saying, oh, yeah, you, you know, maybe some sports writers are a little unhappy with you. But on the other side where you're creating these, these detailed reports and the predictive analytics, you're doing things that just aren't currently being done. Well, but, so, so, okay, I, I see what you're saying. They're being done. They're, they're not being done at scale. Mm-hmm. And as far as, as far as I know, and I'll quote, I'll quote Robbie Allen from, from this morning, Nobody has ever been laid off because of of automated insights technology. And and that's important to, I I think, to note, and it's important for everybody's conscience. And and I think the folks that we do know that have adopted this at at big fortune-level companies have even got promoted because of it. And and I think the reason there we've we've, we've already touched on, you know, there's a huge shortage now of this kind of skill set. People are doing it. These data scientists and these skilled analysts, they're doing it. The AP journalists were certainly writing financial stories before us, but they were doing 300 instead of 4,000. Mm-hmm. And, and if we can do in three minutes 4,000, look, you're always going to need the journalist to interact with the technology. You're always going to need the sports writer where Corey's example adds information that just isn't structured, that can't be added to that you know, Cinderella story of, of the, the minor league player coming up from, uh, you know, to major league glory, you're always going to need that human being. And, and I think, I think at least in the near future, that's what we're seeing at, at our customers. Yeah. I like automate what can be automated. It makes a lot of sense. And let humans do what humans do best, like put the creativity where it's most needed and let the machines and the artificial intelligence do what it does best. Amen. Okay. Uh, amen. I tell you what, if Scott says it, and especially if Robbie says it, I am fully on board right now. <laughs> yeah. Now it's just a question of what, where do we get that trial? <laughs> so we can mm, generate yeah. Well, it. yes, we'll talk about that offline. Well, we'll call totally me, call good. me Tuesday morning. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Absolutely. Good stuff. Should we move to our lightning round? You know what? I think Scott's prepared. What do you oh, think? No. Scott, Krista, maybe. You, you think Scott's prepared, Krista? I think so. Yeah. I'm going to throw yeah. it to Krista. Like, yeah. I think Krista starts this one off. All right. Awesome. Scott, what's your two favorite music videos? Well, it would have to be the first one I ever saw, which was Video Killed the Radio Star. Um, and anything by Whitesnake. Oh, oh, little David Coverdale. 
Hey, listen, I go all the way think, back to purple I think to that's more days. a little bit of Tawny Catan. I think that's what that is. No, well, of course it's Tawny Catan, but right. I go all the way back to purple days for uh, David Coverdale. So, uh, you know, pre-White Snake. So, uh, good stuff, man. Absolutely. I'm all in. All right. All right now I'm feeling warmed up. Yeah. Johnny. <laughs> Johnny. Or Johnny. Johnny. Johnny, Johnny wants to know what, uh, what is the last CD, physical CD, compact disc that you've listened to? You know those things that most people use for coasters? Indeed. And, and this will definitely bring out the sales geek in me because it's called Nerves of Steel. And it, I've, I can't remember the author, but he was is in. Is this not music? It wasn't music. It wasn't. Uh, I just said I have, CD. It doesn't. You it did say CD. CD. You did. Oh, so come on. Let's uh, wait, 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 Scott, stop. Let's talk music CD, not sales CDs. <laughs> okay. So it, I'm going to say it was probably Van Halen, Diver Down. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Another good. We'll get Chris. I'm feeling Chris an has to stay on, on the last two. Well, I, I want to expand upon this now. Like, all right, so that's one that you would have purchased. But how about a self-created CD? What oh, man like have on there? What would be on a mix? Wow. Like I could tell you what's on mine currently. There, uh, I think it's called Pickin', and it's all this uh, banjo bluegrass of you know Offspring, Green Day, um, wow. uh, Lincoln Park. So that's what I've been listening to. Love that stuff. In what fact, are you burning I, there, Scott? Yeah, I, so I haven't burned a CD in, in God knows how long, but I'm going to go with Krista. I love the, the bluegrass covers of the 80s uh, standards, the 80s hits. Absolutely some great ones. In fact, I just heard, I forget the name of the, the cover band, but I just heard uh, Sticks Come Sail Away in, in mm. bluegrass version, and it was absolutely rocking. Wow. That's got to be something. Wow. I think I'm going to create one that is now uh, Coverdale Purple, White Snake, Van Halen, Rush. Um, I'm a buyer. And, yeah. There you go. There you go. I, I'm right. a big fan of mixtapes. And every time I, I uh, approach a new potential girl, I pull out a, a physical d tape and say, <laughs> I made you this mixtape, girl. I hope you like Phil Collins. <laughs> It hasn't it like, worked yet, but is it, is it like Susudio, Johnny? What's on it, huh? Uh, you know, it, it's got it's got a mix of everything. He has some of his solo stuff. He has Genesis uh. on there. <laughs> All right, solo and Genesis, good, good. I'm in. Okay, cool. All right. Who's next? Well, well, what are you What are you currently reading? Oh man, I'm I'm reading. Ah, I'm reading a book on Buddhism that one of my coworkers gave me uh, on Friday, yesterday. Um, but more typical is literature. Uh, I, I love uh, anything by John Irving. Um, I, I think I'm caught up on all of his books, but uh, yeah, it, it's either, it's, uh, these days it's either a blog, uh, like Tibetan Kung Fu podcast, uh, a, a nod to uh, Sifu, Smith, and um, again, any any sales book that ever comes out. Okay, this is just an extension of yours, Jane. It's not mine. Favorite actor? De Niro. No, you never go wrong with De Niro. Nobody gets fired for De Niro. Do we do we say favorite De Niro movie then? So uh, all the all the Godfathers, um, uh, Angel Heart, right? Angel Heart goes back to. Uh, mm -hmm. 
the 80s, I think, with uh, who was that actress from the Cosby show? Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. I remember that movie. He played yes. the devil, I think, yes, right? Yes, I, that was a very, that was a, yeah. Intense stuff. Very intense. Yes, I remember that one. Um, is it my turn? Yes. Okay, you ready? Mine's a little longer than the others, but then it always is. Are you ready, Scott? I don't know, as I'll ever be. Okay, here we go. Elon Musk has predicted ultimate AI chaos to happen May 4th, 2049, and Stephen Hawking is supporting this statement. With your knowledge of the benefits of AI through applications like Wordsmith, will you shoot him down or somewhat support such a notion? Wow. I'm Look, good with as, those. As much, yeah, as much respect as I have for the genius of, of both of those men, I'm going to have to disagree I think that if it's AI, in the context of AI, which is how you presented it, Corey, I'm going to have to say people will have much less robotic, much more interesting jobs. There won't be a zombie apocalypse. We will, we will be more creative and more engaged in our, in our work, and we will have to do less mundane uh, activities that the technology can take over for us. And I think, as we said, is when robots can sell, I will be more than happy if I am still selling at that time, you know, it's, which has been my background, to basically hand it over and say, listen, if you need any help, I'm always here, you know? I, I would love a robot for, for an effective robot for some of the more uh, mundane sales activities. But you're right. Again, when it's persuasion, when it's creativity, um, when it's uh, activities like these, I don't think uh, Hawking's and Musk are, are walking down the, the right path as far as their prediction. But mm. we don't have enough data. We'll, we'll see what happens, right? Well, and I'll say whoever creates that cold calling robot first wins, okay? <laughs> exactly. That can interact properly with a human being, right? <laughs> Not the one that those vacation clubs are currently using. Hey, that's listen. the key, the interaction, because yeah. I always get the, the call from my pharmacy that something's filled or wants to be filled or something, and you have to, you know, dial one and then dial 10 if you want English and all that. It's a pain in the ass. Hey, Scott, so, my, my final thought is you program it with Wordsmith. Now you just may be talking. I think, I think you might be right. I think you're onto something there. We might need a couple other components, but hey, let's do it. All right, let's get on Robbie's yacht and let's get make this happen, okay? It's a date. <laughs> I think you brought us full circle, Corey. That was awesome. Did I now? You did. You took it right back around. What do you know? Ah, that's beautiful. Well, that was a terrific conversation. Thank you so much, Scott. It's my distinct pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, did you notice how we didn't ask you what your favorite podcast was? <laughs> I snuck it in there. <laughs> to did we ask him what his other favorite podcast is? Podcast. <laughs> His other favorite podcast. Look, I'm 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 sold. You guys are fantastic. I will I will come here. Any any of the titles, TechCrunch, A V, whatever you like, I'm here. <laughs> we'll call it Tech Exchange. Okay. There you go. Right. <laughs> we may even bring you on the other show, but that's Krista's call, so we'll talk. Um but anyway, uh yeah, so go ahead, take us out, Jane. All right. Well, thank you, and, and thanks to Krista and Johnny and Corey. This has been another edition of Tech Exchange.
Yep. Thank you all again. Thank you, Scott, for coming on. And uh, we will join you next time. <laughs> <laughs>